0: For a promise, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 11, verse 7. This is today's promise. If you've uh, got uh, Spurgeon's faith checkbook, Uh, this was today's promise this Sunday. And I thought it was a a magnificent promise in many ways. It says, uh, verse 7, Exodus 11, verse 7. It says, but against any of the children of Israel... Shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel? And that a wonderful thought? I'm thinking now maybe of the critics that we have as Christians and those that, that like to move their tongue and gossip and complain and malign our character. A very important part of the persecution of the Baptists in colonial America uh, those uh, Puritans would smear the reputations of the Baptists and say they were wicked people and debauched people. That way, when they uh, whipped them and abused them, uh, they would uh, minimize the sympathy that the people might have for them because they had already uh, gave them destroyed their reputation. You might say assassinated their character. Well, uh, I see a wonderful promise here. That listen, God's going to protect us from our critics. He can control the, the tongue of the dogs that move against us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Yes. God can protect our reputation. By, by the way, God is the salvager of reputations. I've seen a, a good pastor friends be smeared and maligned and lied about. And uh, uh, Spurgeon uh, suffered terrible criticism and abuse. You know, when you take a stand for truth, you're going to get criticized. You're going to get abused. And uh, truth has sharp edges on it, does it not? If it's real truth, and it's going to sometimes cut and wound when you give people the truth. Now, I think we ought to speak the truth in love. But uh, even though you speak the truth in love, sometimes your enemies are going to hate you and despise you simply because you speak truth. Well, uh, God, may God help us to have the courage to stand for truth and speak truth. And, uh, and find uh, even though the dogs uh, may move their tongue, God can control that. God can salvage your reputation. Well, I thought that was—I think this is a wonderful promise. <clears throat> Look up here, just turn if you would to our chapter today, Daniel chapter nine. This is a great prophecy. Now, everybody should have. Uh, uh, Kevin, there's a, did you get a copy of the uh, on the? Okay, the um, this is an outline here of, of Daniel chapter nine. And uh, this is and may, maybe in many ways the most important chapter in all the Word of God on Bible prophecy. Remember now chapter 7 where Daniel got a vision. He had a vision in chapter 2. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statues with the golden, he was the golden head and so on. And then in chapter 7 you're going to have a history, a Gentile history. Chapter 8 will also be another Gentile history that will focus on the uh, the Persian Empire and Alexander the Great in chapter 8. But uh, 2, 7, and 8 all give us a future uh, view, uh, a history of the Gentile nations. Now, when you come to chapter 9, this is going to be a history of Israel. We'll focus on the nation of Israel. And uh, remember now we're talking about six great empires in all of human history. Uh, the first great world empire that controlled most of the then-known world was Egypt. And at the very peak of the Egyptian power and authority over the, most of the then-known world, Moses was in, actually in the court of Pharaoh. And uh, then we have the Assyrians. And then we have, uh, beginning with Babylon, Daniel gets a vision of all future history from the Babylonian empire all the way to the second coming of Christ. Of course, we see uh, the, you had the four kingdoms. Then the fifth kingdom is the revived Roman Empire. I'm sorry, the, the fourth kingdom is Rome, and then later on the revived Roman Empire for our day, and that is recognized as sort of one empire. Uh, the rise of Antichrist today will, will come out of Europe, we believe, and uh, will come out of the uh, European Union. Now, we don't know, that's just speculation. But possibly come out of the European Union and uh, that'll be a, sort of a revival of the old Roman Empire. It's kind of fascinating in history how many of these leaders in the world have wanted to revive the old Roman Empire. Uh, Charlemagne wanted to do that in the, about the uh, ninth century, I believe it was, 8th or ninth century, and then uh, all the way up to Mussolini. Did you know Mussolini wanted to revive the old Roman Empire? And There's been many other leaders that their goal was to revive the old Roman Empire. Well, I believe the Antichrist will do that to some degree. But uh, Daniel recognizes uh, the, revi- the old Roman Empire with the two legs, you remember this, and the toes and so on of clay and iron. And uh, he sort of sees that uh, uh, the old Roman Empire and the revived Roman Empire sort of one, sort of the fourth kingdom. And then the fifth kingdom will be, uh, will be the millennium. The Word of God talks about the stone that will come and crush all the other empires and so on. That's uh, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to set up the millennium. And so we call that the fifth great world empire. Sometimes they used to call it the fifth monarchy when the Lord Jesus Christ will be the monarch who will set up the uh, fifth great world empire, meaning the millennium. All right? And so that's kind of where we are. Now, remember... Uh, Jeremiah prophesied that uh, Babylon would come and destroy Israel, would capture Israel, destroy the temple, and so on. Uh, I turned quickly, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah. I'm going in the wrong direction. Jeremiah 25, come down to verse 11. Here we see now the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He wept because of the terrible destruction that God was going to bring on Israel for her rebellion and apostasy. And so he's the weeping prophet. And, uh, but Jeremiah prophesied with such powerful denunciations. Today they'll use that term. If you as a preacher preach very hard against sin they'll call, and uh, you rebuke sin, they'll call that a Jeremiah that your preaching was so hard uh, and that is reminiscent of the hard preaching of Jeremiah. But isn't it fascinating that the hardest preacher in one sense in the Old Testament was the weeping prophet, the man whose heart was broken over the sin of his people. And the only person that preached harder than Jeremiah was who? Who was the only one that preached harder than Jeremiah? Who called uh, Jesus Christ? That's right. He called those Pharisees a bunch of serpents and snakes, didn't he? <laughs> he called them uh, whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones. we got this idea today well, if you just slobber all over the place and tolerate everything and love everything, <laughs> that somehow all the evils in the world just go away. No, we need some old fashioned hard preaching against sin. No. Uh, you ought to go back and read the uh, the sermons of Doctor Bob uh, Senior and Billy Sunday back around the time in the nineteen thirties and so on. The thing that strikes you the most of them is how hard they preached against sin. Uh, they went hard after sin. <laughs> uh, they preached against the, They think that Billy Sunday's great boo sermons was a great factor in uh, prohibition and then passing prohibition back in the uh, uh, in the nineteen twenties and so on. Well, anyhow, I didn't mean to get into all that. But uh, Jeremiah 25, verse 11. Let me get there. Here's Jeremiah now prophesying. Now, Daniel is going to be reminded here in chapter 9 of Jeremiah's prophecy. And he knows that when uh, Babylon uh, came, uh, or when the Persians come and, and and defeat Babylon... That the, the time of the Lord's uh, of Babylonia, of Babylon, uh, Israel being delivered from captivity is imminent. Daniel's aware now that these 70 years are up that uh, Jeremiah had prophesied. So he begins to pray, and uh, that's the beginning of that first chapter of uh, Daniel 9, uh, verses 3 through 19 is that great prayer of Daniel. And then the last four verses in the chapter are given to this great prophecy. Isn't that fascinating that uh, God uh, gives four times more space to the prayer of Daniel than he does to the, perhaps the most, uh, the, the, the key of all Bible prophecy in one sense, Daniel nine twenty-four through 27. Uh, God has a different set of priorities than we have, doesn't he? Uh, what's that? 16 verses given to Daniel's prayer. And four verses given to the prophecy of chapter 9. We'll look at that in just a second here. But look at, anyhow, let me quit interrupting myself and let's look at uh, verse 11, all right, of uh, Jeremiah 25. It says, and, and the whole land shall be a desolation. He's prophesying the coming of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to destroy Israel. Then Nebuchadnezzar in 586 will, will destroy the temple. And this is what uh, Jeremiah is prophesying here. And the whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and those nations shall serve the king of Babylon how many years? Seventy years. Now, some of the theologians like to debate uh, when when the 70 years begin. Some think it begins in uh, uh, 605 when Nebuchadnezzar made the first uh, Uh, invasion of Israel, carried away a handful of people, Daniel among them. Then in in 597, a few years later, it'll be the major deportation deportation of the Jews. And then he'll come back a third time in 586 and destroy the temple. Now, I I liked myself, and there's a lot of men smarter than me that disagree with me, but I like the idea that uh, it begins with the destruction of the temple in 586. And the temple was rebuilt exactly, about exactly 70 years later in 1516. Well, 586 to 1516 is 70 years, isn't it? And I like to take the Bible as literal literal as possible. So I think the 70 years is marked from the destruction of the temple to the rebuilding of the temple in 1516. Uh, but anyhow, Daniel's aware of this prophecy. Now come over to chapter 29 of Jeremiah Come down to verse 23. Jeremiah 29, 23. Because they have committed villainy in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. Thus shalt thou also speak to, uh, to Jemiah and the Helamite uh, the, the Nehemiah, the Nehemiah, Helamite. thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, because thou hast sent letters in thy name unto all the people, that there are Jerusalem, and Zephaniah the son of uh, Messiah, the priest, and all the priests, saying, the Lord hath made thee priest, the instead of Jehoiakim the priest, <clears throat> that ye should be officers in the house of the Lord, and maketh himself a prophet, that should have put him in prison in the stocks, now, therefore, why ask Jeremiah, am I reading the right thing here? <clears throat> uh, no, I'm not. That, that, uh, that did not sound right. Let's come back to verse 10. <laughs> I'm looking at a different passage here. Come back to verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. And perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. I just want to take time to show you that uh, Daniel was aware of this. At the end of the 70 years uh, that the Lord would uh, deliver Babylon, uh, Jerusalem from captivity. All right. <clears throat> now, and uh, look up here just a minute. Here's kind of a good overview of this whole prophecy. Here's the key prophecy, verses 9, 24 through 27. All right. And this prophecy gives an overview of all human history concerning Israel, not the Gentiles as such. <clears throat> but uh, Daniel begins with this in uh, 444 B.C., March the 5th. Now, these Bible scholars have got a way of going back and looking at historical events and things like this and figuring out these times. All right. Uh, the uh, The emperor, the Persian emperor, Artaxerxes, made a decree. And the decree was there in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Remember, Nehemiah comes in. He has a a sad countenance. He's burdened about his people and so on. And uh, so to make a long story short, Artaxerxes, uh, Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah permission to go back and rebuild the city, rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. Now, the temple had been rebuilt or they started the temple earlier. In 5, about 538, remember Cyrus gave uh, the Jews uh, permission to go back and rebuild the temple. So the temple was built long before the city was built and the walls were built. Now Nehemiah is concerned about the, the city and the walls, the streets and the walls and so on. So he's going to allow Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city, not the temple. That's already been taken care of, all right? All right, now, so from the, from the time when this decree went forth for Nehemiah, Nehemiah to rebuild uh, the walls and the city, there's going to be, to the very end, uh, to the triumphal entry of Christ. That's on March the 30th. Now, the, the, these men that figured out these things, is way over my head. I, could, I couldn't figure it out. But they went back and looked at all these years, and they added leap years and subtracted other things and so on. But anyhow, they came up with a total from March 5th to March 30th, a total of 173 days, 173, 880 days. And they used the Jews' calendar. The Jews only had 360 days in their calendar. We have 365, right? The Jews had 360. Well, you multiply multiply these things and you end up with exactly this many days. Well, there's some kind of adjustment in here, which I'm not sure they explained it, but I didn't understand it. All right. But they make some adjustments in here, and they figure out from the time when this decree was passed on March the 5th, they figured that Christ came into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Now, remember, he came to present himself as the Messiah. He came to introduce himself as their prince, the Messiah that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, and also to present himself as the Lamb of God. All right. So this is on the the triumphal entry, and so they figured to the day that from the when this decree went forth to the day that Christ rode into Jerusalem on the colt, presenting himself as Messiah, that uh, that it was exactly the many uh, to the day what Daniel had prophesied. uh, This whole handout, this chart is basically basically this is an overview of that. All right. Now look at your uh, look at your uh, chart. And probably the best way to look at this, by the way, on the back is a little chart of the, uh, does everybody have something on the back? Okay. If you look at the bottom, it says the, the 483 years in the Jewish and Gregorian calendars. Well, there they figured out the math and they went back and they've studied the, the, uh, the, uh, the events of history and so on and come up, to, came to this conclusion. And this is kind of a little overview of their mathematics, and how they figured these, that those years. All right? But anyhow, and then at the top is the little postponement when the Lord Jesus Christ at his triumphal entry rode into Jerusalem who's presenting himself as the, their Messiah, the one that had been promised in the Old Testament. But also, uh, ironically, he was presenting himself as the Lamb to be slain and to be crucified. What happened when uh, the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself as Messiah. What, what happened? He said, I am the long-promised Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. What, uh, what was the response of the people? You remember how they praised him and praised him with hosannas and so on? And then what did they do to him later on? They crucified him, right? <laughs> uh, the mob is fickle. And uh, so they turned against him. They rejected him. And so he would have, he was making a bona fide proposal to set up his kingdom. But they rejected it, so he had to postpone his kingdom. And so we call, the, the theologians call this, this the postponement of Christ. And so there's going to be a gap now for uh, between the this 69th week and then the. Uh, then the, uh, the the last seventy weeks, the last seven years, the last seven years will be the great the period of the great tribulation. So you and I stand in a gap, right? <laughs> in in uh, in 33 A.D. On this day, Christ rode into Jerusalem on the coat, presenting himself as the Messiah. They call that the triumphal entry. Okay. And that's going to be an end of the 69 weeks, 483 years. There's going to be a gap before the last seven years occurs. And you and I are in that gap. We call it the church age. Some have called it the grace dispensation. I don't know that I like that language. We've all been saved by grace from the beginning of time, have we not? <laughs> so I like to say we're in the church dispensation. It might be a better way of saying it. All right. So uh, now, look on your map, (laughs) look on this side, and let's just turn it vertically, the one that says uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And probably the best way to look at this uh, chart is to start at the bottom, and we'll work our way up. Now look at the bottom, it's 444 B.C. It says, the decree of Artaxerxes for Jews to restore and rebuild the Jerusalem walls, not the temple now. Remember Cyrus gave a decree to rebuild the temple, maybe back in probably about 539, 538, shortly after he became uh, king, after he began to rule the Babylonian Empire. All right, and then uh, you see the rebuilding of the. Uh, in 49, and uh, uh, 49 years later, you see the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was sent to rebuild the wall um, and the city. And then you see in four uh, in uh, uh, AD 33, Messiah will be cut off. Uh, that's not the triumphal entry. Now he'll remember. He'll uh, a week, uh, a few days later, he'll be crucified. So you have the triumphal entry. I believe that was on a Monday, March the 30th, and then I believe Christ was crucified on Friday. And uh, so, anyhow, then you see, in 70 AD, the Romans will come now and destroy the temple. Not one stone will be left upon another. It will be completely destroyed. And that's in 70 A.D. Now, the Lord Jesus Daniel prophesies two events. It's going to take place in this gap between the 69th and 70th week. And uh, two events are going to occur after the triumphal entry. It prophesies to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ would ride into Jerusalem and offer himself as Messiah. But after the 70 weeks is over, after the triumphal entry, within a few days, uh, Christ will be crucified. And then uh, in 70 A.D., about 40, uh, what, 36, 37 years later, then the Romans will come under a general by the name of Titus. And they'll destroy the temple. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ prophesied that, remember? He said, not one stone will be left upon another, so in this gap between the triumphal entry and the second coming of Christ will be the church age. And Daniel will prophesies two events that will take place in this church age. The crucifixion of Christ, so it'll be after the triumphal entry. We'll look at that in just a minute. And then the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Those two events are prophesied by Daniel. All right, now, and you just want, uh you have uh, after seventy-eight D, we don't know when, but the rapture will take place. And then immediately after the rapture, it could be a few days, could be a few weeks, uh, maybe a few months. We don't know. But the thing that actually begins the tribulation period is not the rapture. It's the signing of the treaty between Antichrist and Israel, a peace treaty. All right, so that's what's talked about here. Antichrist makes a covenant or a treaty with Israel which begins the 70th week. And in the middle of that seven-year period, the middle of the tribulation, Antichrist will turn against Israel. And he'll stop the sacrifices in the temple. He'll go into the temple, desecrate the temple. Christ, Christ calls it the abomination of desolation. And then in another three and a half years, then the Lord Jesus Christ will come, the second coming. As you look at your... Chart here, the 70, at the very top, the 70 weeks of prophecy are completed. Now, if you look at that list of events that I gave you here, underneath are Bible verses. Come back down to the very bottom Daniel 9 25, then Daniel 9 25, 26, all the way through 27. All right? So that's kind of a good historical outline of those events. Then if you turn the map the other way, it shows you what happens in between those events. All right, now let's, let's come to Is everybody with me so far? Okay, all right. Well, good. Okay. Uh, Come back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Come to verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Now, remember, these events are not in chronological order. Now, we're going all the way back to when Darius took over Babylon. And so these events uh, are going to actually be before the, uh, this vision will come before the uh, Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall and so on. All right. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ah of Ah 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 Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now that's kind of strange language, isn't it? It says that Darius was made king Well, we we believe that Cyrus, this is the Persian Empire. Cyrus was the king of the Persian Empire. And he appointed Darius over the region, the particular province of Babylon. And the language of the Bible seems to be uh, consistent with that, doesn't it? In the first year of the reign of I, Daniel, understood by books, in the books, speaking perhaps of the book of uh, Jeremiah, the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So see, he's recognizing now, studying this prophecy of Jeremiah. So he has a copy of the book of Jeremiah. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek my prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now this wonderful prayer one of the greatest, one of the most profitable Bible studies you can make is to study of the prayers of the Word of God. This is a magnificent prayer by Daniel. It goes from verse 3 all the way through verse 19. As I said, it gives four times as much space to his prayers as it does to this great prophecy. All right, let's come on down now to verse 24. And if you look at your hand down here, basically what you're seeing here on this chart is an outline of verses 24 through Uh, 27, and some consider this the key, perhaps the most important single passage or prophecy in all the Word of God, but uh, let's look at this, uh, let's look at this prophecy, we'll look at, uh, come down, uh, come to verse 26, it says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, now watch the word after there. It's after the 483 years, right? uh, Christ—it's not talking about the, uh, the event. The the triumphal entry has already taken place, and we believe that Daniel prophesied that to the very day that it occurred. All right, after the end of that 69 weeks, those 483 years in this gap we call the Church Age, the gap between the 69th and 70th week is when Christ is going to be crucified. Now watch how consistent the word of God is here. And after 3 score and 2 weeks, after 483 years, Christ was crucified after that in in the what we call the gap period or the uh, church age. Shall Messiah be cut off? Shall he be crucified? But not for himself, he suffered and died for me and you. Not for himself, right? He, for sinners. <laughs> But not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come. Now these are the, what people, what, oh, well, let me, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. Daniel is prophesying now the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Uh, that Roman general named Titus was of what people? Of what nation? The Romans. Now watch it carefully says the people of the prince. What people are, is this? The Roman people. What people helped destroy that temple? Uh, the Romans, right? And this is one argument why many people believe that the Antichrist will come out of the European Union. It uh, uh, will come out of the background well, the, uh, and the revival of the old Roman Empire. It's the Roman people here that destroyed Jerusalem. What people crucified Christ in 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 a directly in a direct sense Romans right they crucified him. Well, this is why they believe that the revived Roman Empire will, will be something perhaps like the European Union, and now that European Union will come the Antichrist. That European Union being in one sense a revival of the old Roman Empire, and so whoever will head up that Roman that European Union. There'll be 10 nations in it and there'll be three nations that are very powerful. Now one of those three nations will come a nation that will conquer all the other 10. And that's the little horn. That's the Antichrist. So they believe that Antichrist will come out of, uh, will be of, uh, out within the revived Roman Empire. Now this is one of the reasons why the prophecy students uh, talk about uh, the Antichrist coming out of the European Union. The European Union having been a part of the what we would call the revived Roman Empire. And the city and the sanctuary shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined on Israel. All right, from that destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. to this day, had not the Jews been persecuted, (laughs) maligned, Every time something happens in the Middle East, whose fault is it? <coughs> the Jews. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the terrorists can uh, fire bombs into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem reacts, well, who caused all that? All, they always blame the Jews. When they told uh, Pilate, let his blood be on, their, on our hands, they, they didn't realize what they're asking for. <laughs> all through history, they've been abused, abused, uh, and uh, persecuted, and martyred, and slaughtered. And uh, this is what the Word of God is suggesting here. From that time forward, they're going to suffer desolation, and terrible suffering. Now look at verse 27. Now there's going to be a big gap. 26 is kind of an overview. You might say an overview of this time period of history here. Now there's going to be a big gap. At the end of 27, I'm sorry, at the end of uh, 26, Uh, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city the Romans and thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined okay in verse 27 now there's a gap here we're going uh, we're entering uh, but now we're entering into the 69th or I'm sorry into the 70th week We've skipped all human history up to the time of the rapture, basically, for all practical purposes. In verse 27 now, we're picking up what takes place after the rapture. and We're beginning the tribulation. It says, And he shall, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Antichrist now is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel, guaranteeing their security. And in the midst of the week, in the midst of that seven-year period, three and a half years, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. He's going to turn against the Jews. He's going to forbid them to worship. They can't go and offer sacrifices in the temple anymore. He himself will go into the temple and make himself to be as God. That's what it's talking about here. You see what an amazing prophecy this is. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for, the, for, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. He's going to start persecuting the Jews. Remember, the Jews will flee to Petra for protection, perhaps other places. And this is what it's talking about here. Even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Talking about the consummation, the end of it, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will return. Uh, what an amazing what an amazing prophecy that is. And this little chart here now is sort of an, an overview of those events. And, uh, and a good ex- I hope a good explanation of, the, uh, of these last verses of nine twenty-four 24 through, through 27. All right, that would be a good place to stop. Let's all bow our heads and we'll be dismissed. Our Father God, we're thankful for the wonderful truth of your Word. and uh, Father, we just pray now that your your blessing might be on the preaching of the Word today. Give the pastor liberty. And we pray that uh, even this day we might see many uh, call upon thee and trust thee.